Welcome to the Iceman, a podcast presented by Tuned Up Custom Rods. Hey, everybody. Hey, Dan. Hey, John. Glad to be back in studio. Yes, it's fun. Tom. How's it going, guys? Good to see you. So we are super excited tonight. We've got two guests joining us, one of them that we really care about and one of them who's just kind of here. So, <laughs> Dan, Dan, that was really mean. I mean, it's really heartfelt you care so much about me, but Tom, you couldn't you get No, Tom's cool. I like Tom. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I just had to do it. So uh, joining us by phone tonight, we've got Jason Mitchell from Jason Mitchell Outdoors. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you for being here. This is a huge honor. I've been a huge fan of yours uh, watching the show and, you know, checking out the products and all those things. And, and just uh, you've got such a, uh, a broad name in the industry. It's just I'm super excited. So geeking out a little bit. And then right across the table from me, I got to introduce the other guests. So we've got my good buddy, Harv, Mike Harvey, who if anyone listened to the very first episode, Harv called in on the first episode he might remember calling or he might not. He was in a different different state of mind at the time to talk about the Gophers. Yep, I was actually uh, <laughs> that enjoying was our, myself. That was our first episode? Very first yeah, episode. I think, so. okay. I think so. So thanks, guys, for having me on. Uh, super excited. And how about to be uh, paired with the, uh, the legend, uh, at least the Saturday, Sunday morning favorite uh, TV uh, fishing host, uh, Jason Mitchell. So what a privilege and uh, what... What else could I ask for? Maybe maybe the Packers to be playing this Sunday, but yeah. I'm probably in the wrong state for that. So so Harv and I teach together, and the reason that I asked him to be on tonight is because you've got a connection to Jason. I do, I do. Uh, Jason's uh, cameraman is uh, one of my good buddies, Taylor Michaels. He actually runs the Jason Mitchell Outdoors podcast, and uh, him and I are, are close buddies for a lot of years, so I get to hear a lot of fun stories, and I also get to... Uh, Learned some pretty fun uh, fishing spots that I get to steal and uh, sworn to secrecy, so I can't uh, I can't ever uh, show too many pictures, or at least we have to hide the background. And if you listen really carefully to some of uh, Jason's TV shows, I've heard your name mentioned a couple times. Yeah, we're not sure how that how Jason actually allowed. <laughs> is, is he cussing at him, or I mean, like I, I, I remember one where he's like, "This one goes out to Harv right at the very end." <laughs> yeah, something like that. I, I still don't know how Taylor pulled that one off, but so were you out on the ice today, Jason? I was earlier. Yes. Yep. Now you, uh, so for everyone who's not, maybe not aware, you live out in Devil's Lake, right? Yes, I live in Devil's Lake. Yep. Yep. So that, I mean, Devil's Lake is a lake I've never been to, but it's a destination lake that's way at the top of my list. Yeah. 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 No, it's a, it's a phenomenal fishery, an incredible place to live. I mean, we were so lucky, you know, to be able to guide out there for so many years. And yeah, I I still got to pinch myself every day, waking up every morning and having that lake right out my door you know right out front of me to fish you know it's a pretty special place how big is that lake oh it's big i mean when you look at all the water that's connected you know there's at one time during the highest water cycle or the peak of the water it was probably close to 200,000 acres of water when you look at stump lake and the water north of highway two but uh it's dropped a little bit now but it's a lot of water I mean, I've fished it most of my life, and I'm still learning stuff every year, every day, you know, so that's what makes it fun, too. And, you know, it's grown a lot, hasn't it? I mean, since way back. <laughs> well, like from 1993 is when the water started coming up, and uh, since that time, it about tripled in size. So. so just out of total ignorance, how did that happen? How did that lake fill in? 
You know, just a wet cycle. Um, you know, in the 80s when I was a kid growing up, we were, no, we were dry in North Dakota. It was a drought, and the uh, lake was really down. And then, you know, in fact, back then they were worried about summer kill and winter kill, and they were, worried, they were trying to figure out how to pump water from the Missouri River system up to the Devil's Lake Basin. You know, there was plans to, you know, build a canal. And then in 1993, we had a really wet summer, and then from there we just we just had a wet cycle. And, and I guess from the way uh, – people have explained it to me is that you know in the prairie you know we're either high or lower high i mean we're dry or wet and you know we'll get 10 20 years of drought then we'll get 10 20 years of wet you know and and i guess in the 70s it was wet too but um then the 80s it was dry then starting in the mid 90s it started getting wet again and we had 20 years basically where we just had a lot of precipitation a lot of snow you know there are some years i remember as a kid where we, we hardly had any snow all winter and actually last winter was kind of like that and uh and you know i've seen winters out here when we were guiding when we were fighting and three, four foot snow drifts all winter, you know, and the water lake would come up two feet in the spring. And so it's a closed basin lake, so there's nowhere for the water to go. From what I understand, it's the only lake that's like it is the Great Salt Lake in Utah as far as being that big of a watershed, being a closed basin. And so um, I guess it was high like this 130 years ago. Then it almost dried up in the 30s during the Dust Bowl years, and it's been kind of going up and down for the last 10,000 years since the last glaciers melted. So kind of an interesting phenomena way different lake than a lot of systems where the water comes in somewhere and goes out somewhere you know yeah, so. yeah that's it's most lakes are kind of a flowage if there's always a feeder and always an exit this one's just yep. rain so with the lake going up and down i mean i suppose that changes the way you fish constantly throughout the year like if it's high water i'm sure spots change and then if it's real low water spots change um, makes it probably a challenge as being a guide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, the water was coming up so many years, and we had to, you know, basically relearn everything each year because you know spots that were really good the year before they might be too deep now, you know, and and vice versa. Or we had a lot of trees that were flooded when the water came up. Well, then we'd have some ice that would knock over the trees after a few years, you know. And so the lake has changed a lot. And even when the waters now the lakes dropped a little bit over the last say three years. And uh, the lakes fish differently as the water's going down versus when it was coming up as far as how those fish set up on the weeds and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's changed tremendously. I mean, you know, I remember, um, you know, when the Minnewaukan Flats was kind of new water. Then Pelican Lake was the place to be. Then Irving and Allison, you know, a lot of that new water was the most productive water. A lot of times that's where we catch some of our nicest fish, you know, and so that's changing all the time, you know. So I mean, it keeps it fun, you know. You you got to relearn it every year and, you know, things that you knew, thought you knew last year, you can throw right out the window a year later, you know. So I, I enjoy that. It was good for guiding. I can't, I can't imagine how complicated that would be to try to keep track of that. Well, I'm thinking of all the stuff that floats up and down, right? If you have trees and stuff, there's probably all kinds of things to hit and objects in the spring. and Oh, yeah, bringing it, a boat out there? Yeah. terrifying that's why i'm like in the spring i'm thinking you know you don't you can't just run across at full speed you'd hit a tree that just broke free from the ice sheet or if yeah, you have I a mean, hummingbird map, that. Yeah. Sorry. yeah i mean you know once you get away from that shoreline contour you're usually pretty safe but i mean I, yeah i mean we've hit trees that were floating across the lake i know people that have hit you know say a 50 foot long tree floating across the lake and you know it did a number you know and uh you know, I, I've hit all kinds of stuff. I can't tell you how many props and lower units I've taken out over the years. <laughs> well, yeah, because if it's cha- if it's ever changing, you know, the, a stump that was five feet underwater, it drops two feet. Oh, now you're going to smoke it, and then the oh, next yeah. year it goes back up. Oh, now you're going to miss it again. 
Yeah, th- and the worst things are the man-made stuff, you know, like an old combine in the water. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking of it. Yeah, that would be a real rough thing to hit. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, things didn't get moved out of the way when the water came up. You know, I'm, you know, you hear about like reservoirs where they, you know, they chopped all the trees down and they did this and did that and kind of prepared a riverbed for a, to be a lake. There, none of that. I mean, that water came up and it it swallowed barns and cars and. Uh, you name it. I mean, it's like the people that were living on the lake, they just got so tired of it, they just gave up and walked away, you know. And, uh, you know, that's the other side of the story, too. You know, a lot of farmers have lost their land and, you know, and people have lost their homes. And so there's some heartache with it, too. So, Are the I, boat launches changing then all the time with the water going up and down? Yeah, I mean, that was a challenge when the water, you know, for the most part, it was a challenge as the water was going up, you know. And so there's boat ramps that are underwater, you know, and there's, um, you know, embankments and, you know, and, uh what do you call it uh you know where they pile up a rock to block the waves and stuff i mean there's some of that stuff that's underwater but you know they just kept going further up the hill <laughs> so yeah i mean they've, they've changed a lot so i don't know how much like woodland resort i don't know how many it's probably millions of dollars in dirt and rock that's underwater that they just built up trying to save what they could and finally you know you, ultimately they lost you know a lot of that but uh yeah it's uh it's pretty remarkable story really I would think a six-year-old Lake Master Chip would be pretty worthless. <laughs> yeah. You gotta buy a new one every year. That's like trying to map out the Mississippi or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the older maps are are less desirable. But you know, one of my favorite things is taking old aerial photos from when the lake was dry. You know, and overlaying that. You know, like some of the doctor's sonar and legend cartography chips, because then you can find some of those deep brush piles and stock dams and rock piles and things mm. like that that show up on that aerial photography. So. Never thought about that because you could have a kind of a history of what the lake looks like before it fills up. Absolutely, you can't really yep. drain that lake right now. You know, John, if you get yep. in the airplane with Tom, I don't fly. You could, you could get over the lakes and see him. <laughs> yeah, fun fact: I don't fly. Remember that? I know we all know that, but you can see some cool stuff from up there. Yeah, maybe I'm supposed to fly in March, so we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Yeah. I think you'll do it. I have faith in you. So, Jason, you started off as a guide. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. How did that transition to the TV show? You know, I was just guiding a lot. I had quite a few guys working for me. You know, I started out, um, I mean, goodness, I started out pretty young when I didn't have any bills and I didn't have much for uh, expectation as far as quality of life or anything like that. I just wanted to fish, (laughs) you know. I mean, when I was 20 years old, if somebody would have said, hey, uh, you know, make a deal with the devil where you can fish every day and have a boat to fish out of and a pickup that runs and you'll be poor and live in this camper for the rest of your life i would have signed it in our heartbeat you know and i just wanted to fish and and uh it just ended up being incredibly lucky you know the water was just i was just you know i, I graduated high school in 1993 that lake started coming up in 94 and uh, just being at the right place at the right time and uh, and yeah i mean so that lake was coming up every year then the fishing tactics and patterns were, were a little different you know compared to where a lot of people came from you know say people came from illinois chicago or southern minnesota or whatever and their experience up to that point had been going up to northern minnesota and walleye fishing or fishing on lake geneva or wherever where they're you know light line small hooks long snails live bait rigging and clear water and this and that and you know they'd show up to devil's lake with their six pound test when it's full of northern pike and snakes and everything else and you know it was like showing up to a gunfight with a butter knife you know and so uh you know, we'd be coming in with these fish and stuff. You're like, oh, how did you catch those? I've all I caught were snakes and, you know, and stuff. And so, you know, that was a big part of guiding is teaching people and showing people and, you know, getting them a comfort with the lake. And, um, you know, our, so our guide service just exploded. You know, I went from 
you know, myself taking two to three groups out a day when I was young to, you know, I don't know, I suppose I'd probably been doing it for 10 years or so and, you know, had 15 guys working for me at that time. You know, we were largest, probably the largest guide service in the Midwest pretty easy. You know, this was before Tony Roach and, you know, a lot of the guys in your household names now that run big guide services, you know, we were we were doing that. And, and I think what was different back then, too, is that all the guides were lone wolves. You know, nobody worked together. Everybody kind of hated each other. And there's kind of there this, you know, this like competition or whatever. And, and um, myself and some other people up in Devil's Lake kind of realized that there's a big advantage or a lot of strength of being part of a team, you know, where if somebody's having a tough day, they can pick up the phone and get some help. And, uh, you know, splitting marketing, being able to handle corporate groups, you know, making yourself valuable to resorts and the hotels you're working with. Because if you're just one person, so you know, you don't have any leverage with the resort or hotel, so you don't take your guys to that hotel that night, one bed, whoop-dee-dee, you know, or two beds in one room. I mean, that's nothing, right, when you're, when you're a big resort. But when you have, you know, 15 guys going every day taking three people, that's 45 people in the restaurant every night. That's, you know, um, uh, 15 hotel rooms or seven cabins booked up every night. So then it ends up being a pretty significant, more of an important number, you know? And so there's a lot of advantages to being, you know, forming a team, you know? And so that was one of the things that we figured out early on, probably before a lot of people did. And that was a big key to our success. So. It makes me think of uh, a guy that I know that you fished with uh, Donovan Pierce up on Winnipeg yep. and that canal to in that his guide service basically built up there. You know, you go, yep. you go stay up there and everybody in the morning is going out on the lake with Donovan. But that's yep. as a, res, like as a resort owner, that'd be a huge incentive to book with that guide. Cause then it's, you know, consistent business and you're bringing it up there and you're bringing revenue to both the guide and the city and the hotel and everything else. And as a client, you know, you're going to go somewhere comfortable and it's, and yep. if you as a guide trust that hotel, I mean, it just, it, it, it's comforting probably all over. Like you, you know what the customer's expecting, you know that they're going to have a clean bed and it's, you know, you're not going to wake yeah. up. Well, it's just everybody being on the same team. You know, we had a great relationship with Woodland Resort. I mean, that's where we guided out of all those years. And, you know, it's kind of a deal where, you know, your people are checking in. Well, then they get taken care of, right. And there's somebody greeting them and smiling and, you know, making sure that their trip's starting off right. And, and these people are excited. So they're talking about fishing and their guide and maybe the person at the, counters like oh yeah you're gonna have a great time they caught a bunch of fish tonight or or if you have a tough day you know sometimes some of those people can kind of help you and be in your corner a little bit too you know they normally catch fish and you know just wind or whatever but don't worry you guys will get them tomorrow you know and it just having another you know you just you know the more people that are on your team the better you know and so um you know, that was uh, a great, great relationship, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I went from guiding every day. I mean, your original question is how do I get from guiding to television? Um, I never thought in a million years I'd ever be in television. I don't even watch TV, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's okay. I, mean, I don't listen to podcasts, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't really like attention either, you know, and I don't really um, – I, I probably don't have the right personality for this at all, to be honest with you, but I love to fish, and I love people, and, um, you know, don't really get off on people recognizing me or whatever. I don't, you know, I'm not into putting decals on my topper, and, you know, I just, you know, if I can, I'll fish out this plainest boat I can and just blend in, you know, and figure I got a job to do, and it's not to you know some people love attention and i i don't and so it's kind of weird um but uh 
how I got into television originally is I filmed a lot of shows with a lot of different people. Basically, I guess pretty much everybody in the upper Midwest, you know, at some point I filmed with, you know, whenever somebody came to Devil's Lake, you know, they would call me and I'd you know, try to help them and, and uh, you know, met a lot of great people that way in the industry and got more connected, you know, and, and uh, you know, then as I got more established, you know, I started getting more, uh, you know, building relationships with sponsors and things like that. And, and uh, so one person I filmed a lot with was Tony Dean. You know, he had a show on the, in the upper Midwest, you know, he aired for 25 years and, and, uh, we became really good friends. I don't even know how many shows I filmed with Tony, probably 10 dozen. I don't, I don't even know, but, uh, we really got along good and, and he was a tremendous mentor to me and, and, um, uh, helping out with a lot of different things. And, uh, so yeah, he just kind of took me under his wing. Well, then he got to the point where he wanted to retire. And so then I, he gave me the opportunity to buy a show out from him and, um, and then the plan was we were going to co-host the show together for a few years because there's a lot I didn't know about television, obviously. But then he died unexpectedly, you know. And so I, I do remember that. That was uh, as a little kid. That was kind of impactful because Tony Dean was like the guy. It's like oh, he catches these giant perch, giant walleyes. Like where are these things coming from? And that was you know, there's a few moments in the fishing history that I remember real well. And Tony Dean's message about how he passed and that was you know. It was pretty yeah, tragic. He, it was real. Well, it was real sudden. Iconic. Yeah, he was an iconic individual, and he just had a just a masterful communicator. You know, just a uh, voice that was very recognizable, and he was just really, really good at what he did. He was just a good dude, you know. And so, um, yeah, and um, so you know, it was pretty quick, pretty sudden. You know, he had an ap- appendectomy that went bad or wrong, and wow. a surgery that went wrong, and um, you know. Yeah, you know, he's kind of up and down with his health for a little bit. You know, he's pretty tough shape. Then he's feeling better. Then, you know, kind of up and down. And then it went down. And and basically, you know, it got to the point where, you know, he just had a few days left to live. And, you know, you knew he's going to die, you know. So, uh, and actually, one of my, you know, one thing that I'm so glad I was able to do is I was able to talk to him before he died. And so uh, uh, that was pretty important and pretty special for me. But, uh Boy, pretty, uh, you know, pretty sudden, pretty shocked to the system. I, if I if I could have just got a quarterback then, or even a nickel every time I was trying to get a sponsor, and somebody said, "Well, you're not Tony Dean," I could have just retired then, <laughs> hung it up. Well, and he was he was just a, this. I don't know. He's like kind of a legend of legends type personality yeah, oh, on TV, yeah. and you just you listen to him, and it's almost like I don't know. It's like Ernest Hemingway type of yeah. TV. It was just you knew exactly what he was doing. You knew what to expect, but he just did it in a way that just. I don't know, made you feel like you're fishing with your uncle and he's just teaching you everything you can understand. Yeah, and he had a lot of humility. And I think that was one of the things that uh, I hope I've learned from him. You know, I, I know I'm not perfect and, and, I, and I know that no matter what I do, I'll never be Tony, you know, but I've tried to take a lot of things from him. And, and one of the things that really struck me about Tony is you, you, he just had a lot of humility in the sense that you know, he didn't ever try to come come across as the best fisherman or whatever but what he did so well is he knew how to identify really good fishermen and help them tell their story you know and that's something that we've tried to do too is that some of my favorite people they're not polished they don't they don't have a shirt with a bunch of sponsors on it whatever they fish they're just fish heads that just fish their hearts out on a body of water and they figured out some things that are pretty unique that are kind of their own because nobody showed them or told them and um and they've got some really great stuff that they can share with people to help people catch more fish you know and those are the gems you know and uh and just and tony was just so good at finding those people and, and giving them a platform to help tell their story you know and and um it wasn't you know the tony's show wasn't about tony 
you know, and so that was uh, a big takeaway. And that was one of the things that made him so successful. Yeah, because he really did. He spotlighted people that were, you know, not him. He just kind yeah. of showed like, I mean, because I'm sure you can't just do a show about Perch every day of the week. I mean, it just well, it get boring, but. Well, you know, and I've been on the flip side of it, right? I've been, I filmed with shows, shows with people or I was around filming, right? When I was a guide where somebody came into town and they're a real hot dog and um, um, just, you know, like to tell, you know, like to tell everybody how great they were more or less. And, and uh, nobody was better than them kind of an attitude, you know, they, and, and they, I guess, you know, some of the people that I met were, I, I guess what you call pompous, right? And uh, you'd show them right where to go, right what to do, right? Lay it all out for them. They go out and catch fish, which is pretty much something that most people should be able to do if it's laid out for you, right? You don't have to put in the work. And uh, and all of a sudden, it's their deal, right? And, you know, and it's kind of a deal where it's almost like they take credit for it, you know? And um, those people have weren't as successful as Tony, Right, because they made everything about them, you know, and so that's one thing I've tried to do is is um, you know go fish with different people is, is you know, highlight them, you know, talk about you know the things that they're doing, the things that they figured out, you know, and and try to you know use my show as a platform to give some of those people some notoriety, you know, and so I think that's important, you know, is is uh, give credit where credit's due, and the thing is too is I mean, and it's funny, you know, people are you get all kinds of different opinions, and and, and some people are really funny maybe even distorted where oh yeah you know you go with a guide well i'd like to see you come over there and go without a guide I'm like well yeah i could but it'd be a lot more boring mm-hmm. <laughs> why would you what would you rather hear would you rather hear what's inside a head of a guy that's been on that water 100 days this summer or would you rather me pretending that i'm so great and i've only been here for two days this summer and i'm going to tell you everything that you need to know you right know. i mean i i know as a fisherman what i would rather hear i what i would rather listen to because I wanted to get in the head of the guy that's on the water every day. Because I can tell you just from being on the water every day, you know, in my previous life, is that you pick up things and figure out things that, you know, a lot of other people don't get to figure out because of that time that you put in, you know. And uh, those are the gems, you know, is finding those people. And sometimes they're under rocks, man. There's a lot of them don't like attention. You turn the camera on, they just you just tell that they they, they want to do the show. They like you, but they hate the camera. You know, those are my, those type of people are my favorite because a lot of times what's in their head is pretty good stuff. So, uh, Jason, uh, when you reflected on, uh, you know, when you uh, graduated high school, do you feel like that uh, what would your, like, 19-year-old self be thinking now with all the success that you've had? I mean, when you look down and you see your name on the rod and or your ice shack or when you watch the Winders Angling Edge shows, they're always breaking away to get your insight and your opinion. I mean, it's got to be almost surreal. It is. I would have never imagined. You know, I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, I grew up in Western North Dakota, uh, fishing Lake Sakakawee and the Missouri River system, and you know, stuff stuff out there. Before you know, I came to Devil's Lake. I think I was 22, and um, you know, we were so far away from everything. You know, and the world was different. You know, before internet and social media and stuff, it's like you know, Gold Lake or Malax. You know, I was like a a universal way, you know? And so I, I was always following everything. I mean, anything that was fishing related, I was consuming it. And, you know, whether it was in fishermen or the stuff that the lenders were doing or stuff that Tony Dean was doing, you know, or whatever. I mean, I, you know, anything that was happening on the MWC at that time or the PWT or, you know, I mean, I was, I, you know, I was obsessed with fishing, you know, and I, 
I, I probably couldn't have ever imagined the success um, just because there's nobody ever in North Dakota really that ever had that kind of success. You know, we're so far away from everything, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and, and to be honest, I think, you know, if it was 20, 30 years ago, I don't know if you would have been able to have that success in North Dakota, you know, because of the population base and just how harder it was to reach people and how spread out people were. Um, you know, even like now, you know, I've got editors living in two different States, you know, um, whereas, 20 years ago, I would have had to figure out how to get a really good editor to live in Devil's Lake, you know, and, and so, uh, or hire somebody that has that type of skill in Devil's Lake, which I don't know of a single person that does, you know, and so the world got smaller, you know, with, you know, last 10, 15, 20 years. And that was a, a big uh, benefit for me, if that makes any sense, at least just in, in my mind, how I see the world. But um, yeah, I would have never imagined. <laughs> yeah, my, my kids always say, what was it like before the internet? I'm like, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember a time. It's just, it's now so it's like social media. You post a picture on, you know, giant walleye and devil's like you see it in seconds that yeah. used to take six weeks to go to print and then two weeks to get to your mailbox. It's a, it's oh, a whole, yeah. it's a whole different world. It's, and it's almost part of me says it's almost too fast. It's like, fish. well, sometimes it is. I mean, you know, we've actually had to adapt our strategies. You know, I mean, I mean, when we were guiding, we used to take the Polaroids, you know, <laughs> and the reason we take the Polaroids because they were so fast. We take a picture of a stringer shot of fish, you know, and post it in the bait shop, you know, five minutes later. And that was our way of instant messaging. Right. And, uh, in that, I can't tell you how much business that got us. You know, people would come in, you know, struggling, complaining about the lake, complaining about everything because they didn't catch fish. You know, it's amazing how not catching fish puts you in such a bad mood. You know, food's bad, bed's bad, everything's bad when you're not catching fish. <laughs> and, uh, and then they'd see these pictures and they'd go, oh, "How did you catch those?" Or what? You know, and a lot of those people would call us. You know, and if you know we had an opening, and and so you know that was business. But you know now it's gotten to be where. It travels so fast and it's so instantaneous that I know a lot of really successful guides and some of the best guides I know, the busiest guides I know, they don't post on social media. They can't, you know, because say they, they work really hard and they figure out a bite and they find a big pot of fish. If they put a picture, especially if it's taken out in the boat, like say at 10 o'clock in the morning, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's done, you know. And so I know a lot of people that have actually kind of backed off. You know, it's funny, you know. People say, oh, you know, like you think, if, boy, if I want to be a successful guide, I got to be really good on social media. Some of the best guides I know aren't. <laughs> so what does that tell you? Yeah, there's something to be said for that. I remember as a kid going to Marv Kep's paid shop and seeing all the Polaroids of all the guides, you know, the linders, and it's like, wow, I mean, this is crazy. And you see the walleye sitting in the taxidermist. Uh, they had a big freezer out front, so they put the walleyes right in there so you could see them. Yeah. And I'm I remember thinking, that. I don't, I wish that was back to what it was. Cause I would drive, I mean, every Saturday morning, I remember that was like the big trip into town with my grandparents and going into town and seeing that. And it was like, this is so cool. I've never seen a walleye oh, yeah. that's 31 well, just a, inches. Just, yeah. Just a different time, right. They'd have a big musky lane in there. You know, I mean, I heard the stories even like, you know, reeds up in Walker and some of those places, you know, they'd have a big, ice chest out you know and a big dead fish laying out there in front of the window you know where people could walk by and look at it you know and and uh, different times you know and in in you know what's amazing too is that we probably have better fishing today in a lot of cases than we did back then because we don't have fish laying on ice blocks in front of windows you know mm -hmm. well That's yeah i think it was a, a real i mean 
back in those days, I don't remember the talks of catch and release and, you know, people didn't take a photo of a fish and release it. They were like, I got a 20 inch walleye. I'm going to whack it up and fry it up for dinner. It was just, it's a very different mentality. And I think, and I've told my, my kid this, and I've told a lot of people this, that we don't know what we have compared to what they had. I mean, they said, oh yeah, they had the great days, but you had one great day. Now it's like, I have a lot of great days. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing. People talk about social media, right? And there's bad components to social media. And we can complain about how social media has ruined fishing and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's a pretty popular theme, especially for older people that grew up without social media. But I think in a lot of ways, social media has done a lot of good, too, because, you know, let's face it, everybody has an inherent um, desire to maybe showboat or brag a little bit, right? Catch a big fish. You want your buddies to know. Uh, Your buddies didn't catch fish and you caught fish boy you sure like your buddies to know right and uh some people are more obnoxious than others but you know back in the day it was a deal where you had to keep your limit of fish right i mean you know we can talk about how bad social media was but i mean you fly you you go back 25 years ago and you hey how was it out there today ah it was okay you know we were too short of our limit but if they would have caught just two more fish and 10 hours of fishing it would have been a great day right everything was about a limit of fish you know it was and, that was that was always the challenge like you had to limit out fish yeah you know how'd you do well you know we, we caught a bucket you know <laughs> I mean, how many are in a bucket i don't know but you know if we only caught a quarter of a bucket that would have been terrible right and everything was gauged on how many you know in goodness uh you know in north dakota you know we didn't have as many people and so you know we were kind of probably a little bit lax or a little bit behind on some of the limits and stuff like that compared to some other areas and you know it's funny you know if you could drive all the way out to north dakota and bring back say 10 walleyes or 20 walleyes whatever it is for your group then that's okay but if you can only bring back seven or 12 then that's terrible right or so people be packing up ready to leave hey did you have a good trip uh it was okay you know we were three short but you know <laughs> I mean, so yeah, you think about all the money and all the driving and everything you know it, it's it's when you look at it from a ten thousand foot lens is just ridiculous right and so i think social media has helped people get over that a little bit like you know you don't have to catch your limit here's a beautiful fish take a picture of it on the water release it healthy you know good release and uh so in some ways uh you know look at musky fishing you know look at small mouse, whatever i mean in some ways social media is probably the best thing that's ever happened to fishing because people can still show off they can still show to their buddies prove that they caught the fish you know man up or whatever you want to call it but then the fish gets to live too so so jason when you just mentioned the catch and release i remember an incredible story uh around uh conservation and that can you maybe just remind us um, who forgot the tape measure uh, when you caught a potential North Dakota record walleye? <laughs> and maybe what went yeah. through your mind when that person realized that he was the one who maybe forgot to pack that in the boat? You know, I mean, it was nothing really extraordinary that I had forgot it because if you knew us, we forget stuff all the time. I mean, we got a show airing this weekend where we forgot the net, right? And it's like <laughs> we're in a blizzard that, and I got to hand land every walleye that we catch, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I forgot to put a new cranking battery in the boat. So all day I've got jumper cables running from my <laughs> and I got, the, I mean, I got compartments open. If, if you would have seen the rest of the boat that we didn't film, I mean, it was just a, a you know, it was something. And uh, yeah, my motor's running all day. I can't turn my motor up because I don't have any 
power my cranking battery and I want to be able to run my graphs, right? So, I mean, that's just par for the course. So, people like, hey, I can't believe you forgot a tape battery. Like, oh, that's the least of our worries. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just remember that. Uh, that was pretty neat on social media here, all the outcry and the outpour that you guys received, you know, for since you didn't have a tape measure, being able to release that fish and not being able to confirm you know, uh, the size yeah, I, of it. I've never even thought about that. I mean, I just thought, you know what, it's a beautiful, it was, a, it was probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me outdoors. And I mean, I've been pretty lucky, you know, as far as bow hunting and, you know, I've shot some cool animals and whatever, but that was the highlight. And I would have never imagined I would have caught it. I mean, it's nothing that you expect to happen when you go out fishing. Um, never even really thought about it, you know, and um, it was by far the biggest wall I'd ever seen, you know, just a whole different species, you know, and uh, knew it as soon as I saw it. I was like, whoa, this is this is something, you know. In fact, here's what's so funny about it is that five minutes earlier, I'd caught one that was probably eight and a half pounds, okay? And, I, you know, I didn't weigh it, but I've weighed a lot of them. I mean, I, you know, I, I can look at a fish and have it in my hands. I can guess within, you know, within an eighth of a pound, quarter of a pound. I could do that with 50 fish and, you know, be pretty close. And I'm not saying that to brag, but when you guide for 15 years, you know, 100 plus days every summer and another 100 days in the winter, you know, you just handle a lot of fish. I, I would guess a commercial netter could probably tell you the same thing. If they, if they got to have 20-inch fish to, you know, to sort for their nets, I'm guessing that, you, you know, a commercial netter could look at 100 walleyes and, within a quarter of an inch you know and so um caught that one really nice fish and then uh five minutes later hooked into another one and if the bite was funny and the fish stayed down and fought so hard and did things against the current and head shakes were funny that i honestly thought i snagged a fish i, I figured i i would have bet a thousand dollars that i snagged about a 27 inch walleye in the anal or in the you know right at the bottom of the you know belly because the way it fought i mean that's what it felt like i mean you know i mean i've done that too right i've snagged big fish and that's it, it felt like i had snagged a nice walleye and so i'm thinking oh i can't show this on camera you know and so i'm actually horsing on the fish i'm holding onto the spool the reel so my drag doesn't slip and i'm just cranking on this fish trying to get it up as fast as i can and get this over with because i thought well there's a pot of nice fish in here i want to get this fish unhooked and get after it right and so i'm really horsing on this fish and um and then I, it comes up and i see it i'm like oh my god it's not a snake fish it's a you know i mean i was just like <laughs> and i got it in the net right away and as soon as i did that hook came right out you know i i put all that pressure on that fish and bent the hook out you know and so that fight would have lasted another three five seconds it would have been done you know so sometimes you get lucky too right what size did you figure it was well i it was well over 15 pounds i mean it was, so I mean, it's like just, a 30 33 34 somewhere there yeah i mean it was a it was just a big fish i i think it would have beat the state record but i'll never know you know oh and, and i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with keeping a state record people you know it's funny people's response you know i, I let it go just because i you know what i I don't know. I, I didn't feel like, you know, people like me aren't supposed to catch state records. You know, it's supposed to happen to some little kid holding a rod upside down, you know. <laughs> that's the way most and, of them are caught, too. <laughs> yeah, and that's the way it's supposed to be, right? That's what makes fishing so beautiful, you know. And and uh, I just thought, you know, some other, and I thought, you know, I'm going to let this fish go. And a week later, some little girl catches it up by Bismarck. That'd be super cool, you know. And uh, what was really cool about that fish, too, is that most fish, and they get big, you know, they get like, scars on their cheeks and face and they get some beat up fins and they get a wart or two you know they're they're old you know they're like old people right you don't have any 
you know, that fish was so perfect. I mean, the fins were perfect. There wasn't a bump or a, nothing irregular. It was just incredible how perfect that fish was, you know, and that was what really stood out too. It was like, it was like the perfect specimen of a fish, you know, and just, but yeah, and then the girth and, the, and it was probably about a day from dumping her eggs, you know, and so um, just a once in a lifetime deal. That's awesome. And you almost, I don't know, I mean, I have a weird thing about keeping any fish with eggs in them. I always feel it's like, did I ruin that gene pool? I, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just that's just you know, me. Here's the deal. I, I think records are supposed to be broken. I think it's cool when a state record gets broken. I think it verifies the work that the states do, that our fisheries departments do. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good, you know, and so if you keep catch a state record fish, you know, I don't, I, I think it's, great to keep it i i just chose not to um so first off i wasn't 100 percent right if i would have had a scale where okay it beats the record by a half pound i might have thought about it a little more but i couldn't stand the thought of and we have a no call rule in north dakota once it's in your live well it's yours it's dead right you can't put it in your live well carry it around for half a day and then decide to release it okay well i got to follow everything to the t from a legality standpoint with what I do. I can't say, oh, I'm filming a show. I don't get to, I don't have to follow this rule. No, I, I got to follow everything to the T. And so, um, so I'd have made a decision right then and there. I mean, if I would have known for sure it would have been way over, like safely beating the record, I, maybe I would have thought about it. Maybe my mind would have been in a different place. But since I didn't know, I thought, oh, I can't kill this fish. What if it's one ounce short or two ounces shorter maybe it's five ounces short i don't know but but uh, then i just got this big dead fish what am i going to do with it you know and so i just i don't know it was, it was cool releasing it was so it, it i released it right away i mean i didn't even take good photos of that fish i wanted to get it back in the water so fast and uh she kicked away hard you know and so pretty cool we can blame that on the camera guy too so. <laughs> <laughs> i think we should leave it at that for right now we're gonna let's take a quick break and then when we come back i want to hear a lot more about this, this is fascinating i yeah. love it all right tommy you ready i'm ready all right let's take a quick break we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors it's ted nugent Hey everyone, this is Dan from the Iceman coming to talk about our sponsor, Tuned Up Custom Rods. We are right now in the middle of our Fish February promotion. Love to see those pictures you guys are posting on our social media. And if you're still in the market for a rod, check out tunedupcustomrods.com. Use the promo code Iceman to save yourself 10%. Yeah, we just loaded up our shop with stock rods, so we are really set. Also, check out Freedom Baits with a Z. Check them out. They have really cool baits like the Frogman. Very hot, very, very hot bait right now. Hand poured, high quality. Use the code ICEMAN for 10% off on your next order. Also, if you want the coolest cooler in town, made in America, made in Brainerd, Minnesota, the Roto-Molded High-Quality Maluna Coolers, use the code ICEMAN for 15% off on your next order. We've also learned that the Maluna Coolers are the hottest coolers. Yeah, I know. No one believed me that keeping your beard not frozen is important, too. Tom tested that so much that he actually went beyond. I, I was able to freeze my beer in the Maluna. It took about three weeks of sub-zero sitting in the back of my truck when I got COVID, and I just didn't. I didn't it was have, before you got COVID because you were No, no, oh, no, no. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I, I filled up my, my cooler on Christmas Eve, and then two days later, I came down with COVID. Omicron John. Yeah, got Omicron, us all. Omicron John. Not, not Burbeck, but... I also Ar had COVID exactly the same time, yeah. so it could have been for me, too. But the funny thing was that Tom was... Re 
responsible for bringing the beer to our ice fishing trip. <laughs> so he just left it and in there? And never told anybody. And he's like, oh, sorry, it was all frozen. I'm like, well, son, <laughs> you left it in there for three weeks? That's amazing. Three three weeks. And you know you know what's crazy is like, okay, the beer, it froze slow enough that none of the cans burst. But all the ice and everything and, and cans just solidified in there into like just one big block. But it was three weeks sub zero in the back of my pickup truck where I just I didn't even have the energy to go outside. So But see that's a testament to the Maluna cooler. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to insulate. It has nothing to do with hot or cold. It's just the But and, and to, it was a slow freeze. Yeah. So it really did do its job. It did its job. Uh, speaking of Ted Nugent, he has a new song out too. Just to let American Campfire. I have to do a shout out to Uncle Ted. You got a Ted Nugent hat. I know I did. I my wife says literally, what if Ted Nugent like came to your house? I said that that'd be it. I'd push you outside. Well, he's going to be about five miles from your house in I know. June. I told you what needs to happen. Yeah, I'm going to well, be. Your, you could be my plus two. Your wife's husband. <laughs> For the next three days, while we go to a Ted Nugent concert, yeah, you I don't even need your wife. I just need to go there. Three, three more pieces of pizza, you could be his plus two. <laughs> is that the joke? Ouch! No, is that the no joke? that is oh. not the joke. Oh, I that's what it was. Hey, no. guess what? We have a guest in the studio. Poor Jason Mitchell's dying laughing right now. <laughs> oh, Jason, thank you for for being here. This has been fascinating to get to hear this progression because I, you know, I came to know you from TV. And from seeing your name and, you know, on, on the rods and on the fish houses and Cabela's and things. And this backstory is awesome to hear. Well, I, yeah, I just remember when Tony Dean passed and you kind of took over the show was like, who's this Jason Mitchell guy? He looks like he's 12, you know, cause Tony, <laughs> Tony Dean was, I don't know how, remember how old he was, but he kind of didn't age after 50. He just kind of was just Tony Dean. But, uh, yep. I did want to ask you one question because I'm sure you have went through the whole gambit of social media change. Um, Because it used to be the bait shop was the place to get fishing info. And then I felt like it slowly transitioned to forums. And now forums are starting to take a backside to Facebook and all this stuff. But what do you think is the next step? Because I'm I'm torn about this because the the forums I thought were always more pleasant. People weren't so nasty. Facebook, it sometimes goes in this real ugly spiral. and, And it's almost like more damaging than what... The, the yeah, forums used to be really, cool. Yeah, I don't really follow it. I mean, even the reports, I mean, like bait shop reports, whatever, I take everything with a grain of salt. Not that I'm skeptical because, you know, nobody wants to catch fish more than a bait shop, right? But, you know, the thing to remember is that uh, people, they don't tell you where they're catching fish. They tell you where they caught fish, and that's a big difference, okay? And so by the time you hear about it, by the time a lake shows up on Facebook or whatever it is, man, it's done. It's toast, you know? And so... Um, I think it's really a disadvantage if you're if that's where you get your information is through reports and through that type of a network um, that's you know the social media network and you're dealing with has-beens you know and so um, that's my take on it uh, just because I see I see bites you know deteriorate every day right where people that find those fish and figure them out have great fishing uh, a few blabbermouths show up and um, and it's done you know the fishing doesn't get better when 10 hard-sided fish houses pull up on a spot it gets worse you know and so you know if you if you want to see the best fishing you know you got to stay one step ahead of that you know and so uh, i don't really i i you know i mean i'll i'll look at that information to get an idea like if everybody's talking about you know the shallow bite or whatever it's a starting point okay they were shallow last week two weeks ago 10 days ago so where are they going to be next but i think the whole key is you got to anticipate okay where this is where everybody's talking about where they were now where are they now you know we're 
past tense versus present tense, you know. So I don't really, you know, whether it was back in the day at a bait shop or forums or now with social media, I don't really, I don't really pay attention to it, honestly. And I think a lot of times you just get bad stuff in your head, you know. Yeah, and I, um, I feel like I get stuck in, I mean, I this is one of my downfalls in fishing. I get stuck in a rut because it's like, yeah, I remember catching fish on the X wrap in 13 feet of water on June 10th. Oh, it's June 10th. I'm going to go fish that spot. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's, it's fishing by memories or if it's just fishing in general. It's in like ice fishing is the worst for me. Cause it's like, Oh, it's, yeah. it's January. I'm going to go to my 27 foot mud flat. And I'm, yeah, I mean, do, I, you, do you get stuck in ruts too? Cause I, maybe I if try you, not to, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I work really hard not to, I mean, I, I could, I can, I have, you know, but I try not to, like, I don't keep a journal, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I wouldn't say worthless information, but like you said, June 10th last year, it's like, you know, so June 10th last year, the water temperature was say, you know, 62 degrees and we were maybe, you know, say 40 days past post-spawn, you know, whereas a year later you might be 60 days past post-spawn and in 70 degree water temps. And, you know, it's a different, you, you, you got a, it's a different groove, a different feeling every year, you know, and, uh, I, I have a really good memory. I think that's probably one thing that I do have where, um, you know, I can remember, I can remember catching, I'll pull into a spot thinking, boy, I haven't fished this in 15 years or 20 years or whatever and, and remember it, you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, I got a lot of stuff crammed in my head, a lot of worthless information, but, uh, I, I just try to fish the day. I feel like the less information I have, the better I just go fish. Like I, I, a lot of times I'll, I'll erase my waypoints every year because I find that. Really? I oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's a fascinating one for me. Cause I, I don't yeah, know if I, the worst thing you can do is have 3000 waypoints and all you do is hop from one icon to the next. You don't learn anything new. And especially as lakes change with zebra mussels and fishing pressure. And sometimes you just have to do something that everybody else isn't. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing I'm seeing today, like with social media and, and, and just the young anglers that we're grooming this next generation is that, you know, people are really reliant on icons and waypoints and social media networking and they struggle. Right. So they got all this information at their fingertips. The learning curve has never been faster or more dramatic yet you know they don't have confidence and they struggle like if you were just throw them out on a lake with no information they would be just lost like they just they can't do it right they got to have they got to have something to give them confidence well i have have a buddy that went out here and caught fish or i have to have a waypoint i have to have something otherwise they can't fish and um those people aren't a threat they're not nothing to worry about because um the people that experience the best fish the people that catch the biggest fish can hunt them down and find them yeah, you know? I, I had a I had an evening in June last year where, or no, sorry, it was in May, that I went to a lake that my dad fished forever, and I mean he mm-hmm. fished for twenty years, and he's like, we need to go to this spot and this spot, and I said, nope, we're gonna go fish this shoreline. And he's like, there are no fish here, and within I don't know twelve minutes, we had five walleyes, nineteen to twenty inches boxed, and he's like, I would have never fished here if you would have told me to fish here, and I said, yep. And I said, I went by strictly where the fish were and what the water temp was. I just, I went by my gut and <laughs> what it told me. And he, he goes, I wouldn't have believed you. Jason, do you feel like, is there, or, or, I shouldn't say feels like, is there anyone in the industry um, or even just individuals that you um, fish with that impress you when you, when you go with them, that they don't need 
you know, the, you know, the waypoints, like you said, that, that just go out and are just savages. Like they, they can go and attack the fish and find them. And, you know, I've heard oh, yeah, Taylor know, talk about Dave Gens and the legend. Yeah. There's, I know so many guys like that. Um, I, you know, I'm really lucky to, you know, I, I get to fish with phenomenal anglers. I always try to fish with good anglers cause that way I learn more, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, and, and we're all bad anglers someday. It's not like, you know, people spend a lot of time on the water, like they they have some type of pixie dust or something. I mean, you know, we try a lot of things that don't work. And I think what separates some of the best anglers I know is the best anglers I know are willing to consciously try things that don't work, to fish areas that they've never seen a person, to, you know, to push it to learn, right? If you keep going back to the well, um, it's maybe safer, but you don't ever figure out any of the really special stuff, you know? And so I know a lot of people in a lot of them, a lot of the best fishermen I know, they're not household names necessarily, but they're just savages. They just live and eat and sleep and they're just, they just got a knack for it. And, uh, in fact, most of the people that I know that are the very best fishermen, they don't even have nice equipment. The reason being is they have a job that doesn't pay them that well because they're, they're so crazy about fishing that, their career, their entire lives has been jeopardized and compromised by fishing, right? Uh, you know, the overachiever, big performer in corporate America might have all the nice stuff, but they don't have the time to figure out how to use it, right? And a guy with a brand new Ranger Triton boat with uh, $20,000 worth of electronics with every rod in the rod locker is a G Loomis, and they got to work, say, 70 hours, 60 hours a week, and they've got a high-stress, very demanding job where they never get to turn off their phone great guys you know they, they, they it's good that they've got that outlet that they can go out and enjoy fishing you know and um you know and, and uh that's the beauty of fishing is that everybody can get into it for different reasons but uh, as far as being a real threat watch out for the guy that's got a 15 foot john boat that's 30 years old that's beat up and his rods are all junk and they none of them match and the guy's out there every day right yeah that, that's, that's something to be i guess it's that comes back to the very old saying it's not the indian it's you know, or it's the Indian, not the feathers, but not the bows or whatever. Yeah. It's, yep. I mean, it doesn't really matter what your equipment is now no, having no, a nice, so, nice rod or something like that. And a nice yeah, you know, I mean, setup, it's nice. it, it's, I mean, it helps. Yeah, I, it, it, having nice stuff is nice, but uh, I'm just telling you just from all the places that we've been to and all the different people we've fished with is watch out for the guy that won't look you in the eye when he's buying milk at the bait shop in the morning. Cause he doesn't want anybody to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is true. And, and, and he's got an old junk, uh, old beater pickup and an old beater boat. And he's fishes every single day and he's obsessed with it, you know? And, you know, the guy that tells you everything that he knows, you know, trying to impress you, the guy that talks, talk, 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 talk. And the guy that's got all kinds of fancy stuff, you know, I'm just telling you that the, don't don't get caught up on that with that guy's information before a fishing tournament. You know, I mean, it's just you know those people aren't the threat. It's the guy that doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> Makes me think of the Grizz on Mississippi. Yeah, exactly, yeah the, the, gri- exactly. the Grizz might be the definition of this. That guy. Yes. I mean, he yes. drives around. I mean, his riverboat is. It old. looks like a hailstorm hit it. Totally. And he yep. just drives around, and it's like he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't give one flying. If there's a wrap on it. It's like camouflage, like battlefish grade. So yeah, but it's it's not even. I, I don't even think it's battlefish grade. It's just dirt and grime. But and you yeah. could fish yeah. next to him and never see one catch fished because yeah. caught fish because he, he hides him in the bow. He yeah. hides him yep. down low. Yeah, he's he's yep. so quiet. I remember him coming in one day to Blue Ribbon. I was a 
super young. I, I don't think I was driving. Came into Blue Ribbon with a trash bag. And I'm like, what? what is, he comes in with a trash bag and he says, come look at this. Dumps out like a, a limit of crappies. And I'm like, where in the world did you find crappies the size of dinner plates in the metro? And he's like, Nanya, Nanya Lake. And then he just, <laughs> just I, and he put one in a fish tank and he's like, look at the size of this thing in here. And he picks it out and, and cleans them all right in the bait shop. And I'm like, this guy is like a legend of legends. He's oh, still yeah. doing it too. Yeah, and he does Those it every are the day. Kind of guys to watch out for. I'm just telling you. Yeah, if <laughs> if I was fishing a tournament, a walleye tournament on the Saint Croix, and the Grizz pulled up in his boat, I'd be like, I'm out. I'm done. Like we've seen him down there a handful of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you're in the right spot. Yeah, or exactly. I'm gonna just follow this guy and I'll just pick up his leftover fish that he didn't catch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, Jason, when you uh, when you talk about you know having nice equipment, I know um, a buddy of mine. Uh, Jeremy Carroll has been on the show. We were discussing even just your rod line and loving, especially lately, like that dead meat and loving uh, the tip on it on how it can just kind of sit next to you in your hub and you can just see the tip just kind of bounce up and down. And my question is, is um, you know, how long does it actually take from when they're picking your brain around, you know, like specs to a rod to actual it showing up in shields, you know, in the store? Well, yeah, that's a moving target. I mean, there's some times where we can have an idea and we can have the right source and then get done pretty quickly. Then there's other prototypes that lay in my shop for a long time, you know, where uh, maybe the action's right, but, um, you know, maybe the manufacturing of the rod leaves it in a place where you just can't make any money selling it, you know, that there's no margin left. And here's something that's, you know, that I've learned the hard way is that a lot of times the rods that I like aren't the rods that sell well. You know, um, I like, for example, with graphite rods, I like a lot stiffer rods than what a lot of people like, you know, and, um, and that's changed over time and some of just how people fish, but, uh, like I've had prototypes that were just kind of sloppy and bouncy on the tip and they weren't fast enough on the tip and, you know, just getting, you know, using say like a jigging ramp or a Kika minnow or whatever, you know, and just getting punched by a walleye and just not being able to hook up with it. Right. You know, and, and, um, thinking, man, I don't like that rod action, but at, but then that rod action would sell like crazy at the retail level, you know, and it's, and I think some of it is, um, you know, you go different places, for example, if you, you know, like I know like out in the Dakotas, for example, people like stiffer rods in, in the, in the, in the overall preference as far as what sells and what people will pick up off the shelf is completely different than say the Metro of Minneapolis, right? Where basically you get outside the Metro of Minneapolis, you're dealing with a little bit bigger fish, right? Uh, you go out in some of those uh, community holes for crappies, for example, and you're in say the Minneapolis Metro area, you know, the reality is that a 12 inch fish is a pretty nice crappie, right? Most of them are going to probably be less than 10 inches, you know? Well, you, and, you, you uh, might be dating yourself then because a, a good eight is a pretty big Metro <laughs> fish right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on. I mean, there's, there's bigger ones. I mean, you go up in the shallow weeds, but you got to zig when everybody else zigs, right? Yeah. You just oh, go out in those community spots where there's 50 hard sided houses. You're not going to find 12 to 13 inch fish, you know, whereas, and so, you know, that kind of dictates, you know, what sells, you know, well, guess how many rods you sell in Minneapolis versus say Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's a big difference. You know, uh, there's a lot more ice fishermen in Minneapolis. And so, uh, so there's some personal preference, regional preferences, things like that. But uh, that's one thing I learned long ago is, you know, a lot of the things that I like for whatever reason, <laughs> nobody else likes it. You know? so, <laughs> I wonder if some so of sometimes that... you have to, you have to, you have to build rods for whatever, what sells, what everybody else wants versus what I want. I will agree with that being in the, the custom side of building and stuff. It's the, I mean, 
if people looked at some of my like my panfish rods, they're all nine foot or longer. People are like, you're crazy. I'm like, that's what I like to fish, but they're not a good consumer rod because most people don't want to swing a nine foot rod yep. for, for panfish. But it's that's what I've loved and that's what I fish a lot. And and now I'm trying to get into ten foot uh crankbait sticks for bass fishing and everyone's like, You're absolutely insane. And I'm like, Well, it's part of being a custom rod builder starting to push the envelope where no manufacturer wants to go. Yeah, and that's why you'll see, you know, a lot of things originate in the custom rod market because, you know, you build five of them, you know, it's custom, and uh, it might be the only five that you sell, right? Whereas, you know, you don't have the minimum order requires, you're not going to build 5,000 of them. No. You know, there's that that niche just isn't big enough. I remember, you know, we came out with a 14-foot trolling rod just so we could spread lead core out without having to use planer boards because you could only run, like, say, three colors of lead on a planer board, inline planer board before you bogged it down. This is before the, some of the bigger boards that are available today. And, um, you know, we sold a lot of them the first couple of years. We sold them like crazy. But then once every troller in South Dakota, North Dakota had a set, <laughs> the sales just fell off the roof. Yeah. It fell off the edge of the planet. But, you know, but if so. you're sending like nine foot six or eight foot six or eight footers, I mean, that's what people, majority of the people buy is going to be a rod yep. that's a little more manageable. Yep. Yeah. And Absolutely. I, I agree. It's just, I mean, you got to build stuff for the, there's always the weekend warrior guys, the average fisherman guys, and then there's the guys that just want to buy cool stuff. I mean, it's yeah, but I think too, you know, I, I think I hate to say it, but a lot of people buy stuff and they might not use it for exactly what it was intended. You know, I remember uh, being at the St. Paul Ice Show, and you know, at that time, you know, we were selling a lot of 28 to 30 inch, 36 inch walleye rods. Well, I like a medium heavy, fast action rod where I can really bounce that lure and get that treble hook to bounce and move that water, get that flash in that water, and and when a fish comes in and punches it, just boom, cross their eyes, you know, and, and, um, I remember, you know, a guy walks up to me, yeah, your, your walleye rods are junk. They're way too stiff, you know, and he starts describing, I start asking him a few questions, you know, like where he's fishing and blah, 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 blah. You know, he goes up to Mille Lacs with rattle reels and slip bobbers. I'm like, well, if you're just using slip bobbers, tell you what, you're, you're right. I, I don't have a good rod for that, you know, because you can buy a $24 combo that's glass that is the perfect slip bobber rod. You know, the rod, bobber goes under, you just reel in. You know, I mean, so, uh, <laughs> you know, he was using those rods with a slip bobber. Well, you know, you take a medium, heavy, fast tip rod and the bobber stops sliding the guides, you know, and it's just, you know, it wasn't built for that, you know. So it's some of its education too, you know, educating people why it, what it's for and how to use it, you know, because whatever we sell, we always want to make sure that people are buying it for the right reasons and using it the right way because we want them to catch fish with it, you know. And, yeah, and catch and, fish the right way. And we've had Well, there's, there's no right or wrong way, right, as long as you're catching fish and having fun. But, there is you know, that, I always yeah. try to. I always try to treat other people's business if it were my own. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'd be at a in-store at Shields or whatever, and some kid would walk up to me with his dad, and, you know, you know we're going to buy, you know, Brian a, a new spinning rod. He's used a push button, and it's time for a spinning rod, and he start asking him questions, and, you know, he's riding his bike down to a little creek, and, you know what, I'm not going to sell him a $100 graphite rod. I'm going to I'm gonna convince that kid and his dad that you, all, you catch all the fish you want with a $40 ugly stick combo and that's the truth you know and show them how to do it here's how to rig a slip sinker and here's how to do this and do that and catch all the fish you want and i think that's what has to be told more you know is that you know, just tell people the truth you can never go wrong with that so no I, I agree yeah i mean it's there's a lot of people that are gear junkies that you know have four hummingbirds in their boat and it's like man it just if you learn one you'd be better off than buying four well, the other thing is, too, is there's, there's so many people, you know, promoting fishing where they're so 
enamored with their sponsors or they just can't tell people the truth. It's, oh, I backed my Lund boat in the water and I put my hummingbird, turned my hummingbird on, I put my Minn Kota down and, you know, everything's about their sponsors, 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 you know. And I tell you what, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, hey, go out in this kayak with a, with a, I don't know, biggest piece of junk rod in the world, a push button Dora the Explorer rod from Walmart, and uh, let's see if you can catch a bass today. You know, okay, maybe I can find a Ned rig or something. I bet I could get it done. Oh, you know, yeah. I always, kind of fun. <laughs> I, there's been, I've had friends that we do Barbie rod or Barbie rod tournaments and stuff. You got to buy oh, a Barbie rod. And, I mean, it's yeah. it takes a, you, you hook a five-pound bass and a Barbie rod. That's a whole different experience. Well, here's something I saw, too, guiding all those years, right, is that, I mean, I like to use nice rods, right? Because I'm fishing and hold them all the time and whatever. And, you know, you have your favorite rods and whatever. And so, I mean, I, I had expensive rods, but a lot of times for my guide clients, I just had good rods, right? I mean, I ran a lot of Fenwicks and, you know, even like uh, the, the old Berkeley Series 1s, even the old Berkeley Lightning rods were a great rod for the money. You know, mm-hmm. they got the job done. And then people brought a hodgepodge of all everything you could imagine that was their favorite rod, right? And, um, a lot of times, uh, you know, a, a, a spooky number of times, there wasn't a big correlation between the quality or the amount of money that was spent on a rod and the fish that were caught. You know, because sometimes, for example, uh, I've I seen it happen all the time with couples where you have a husband and a wife, right? And usually, a lot of times, I hate to say this, and I don't know, I got some speculations as to why, but a lot of times the women outfish their husbands. You want to know, know why? Because I used to work at a gun shop and women always outshot their husbands. It's because well, I think they, they ask questions and they listen. Yeah, yeah and they, they listen, right? <laughs> like if you told them, "Hey, you know, let out this amount of line and do this and this and this," they did it to a T for the whole day. They never questioned you, and they never second guessed you, and and they picked up on stuff right away. Whereas, you know, then the woman catches two fish. Well, then the guy's got his line on the water, his tackles all over the floor of the boat, his tackle box is open. He's trying to, you know, messes around too much, right? He's like, "Eat your line in the water and fish," you know. And do what she's doing, you know. But uh, instead, the guy's worried because he's got a chartreuse jig with pink eyes, and she's got a purple and chartreuse jig. I mean, you think that matters? You know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just uh, you know, sometimes people worry about the wrong things. And um, and so, with that being said, I saw it happen a lot sometimes where somebody that didn't have necessarily have the best rod, if they had the right touch and the right feel, would outfish people that had really nice rods. Because I think sometimes what happens is that. Not only do you feel the fish sooner with a nice expensive rod, but the fish also feels you. And sometimes somebody just holding that rod while they're reading a book, by the time that rod's bent, oh, I think I, I, I got one, I got one. You know, I, I got a fish here. That <laughs> fish is so choked up on it that their fish ain't going nowhere. You could do the worst hook set, whatever, and that fish has got it. Yeah, they're, they're hooked. I mean, they're they're already hooked. It's, there's yeah. no way you, you can know, screw it up. Yeah, especially, you know, dragging jigs and bottom bouncers and stuff. I think almost like sometimes if that rod, if that, if it's just dragging and that fish grabs onto it and they feel it pulling away, it's like they choke up on it even more. They don't want it to get away and they just keep choking, choking, choking until it's just that rod's tips bouncing and touching the water and that fish is just on it, right? Whereas sometimes you get somebody that's really paying attention and trying hard and they've got a expensive rod and as soon as they feel that, they do something. Well, then the, the fish doesn't choke up on it you know so that's why you know north dakota we use two lines i can't tell you how many times where a rod holder will outfish you because that rod holder is just dragging that fish until it's hooked up you know so i think there's something to be said i think there's something to be learned from that you know i think uh, jason was actually describing baker on his hook sets what do you say uh, hook sets are free hook right? sets are free are free yeah yeah i, I think I, just I, emulating like kevin van dam on 
on every. Uh, oh, it's more set. like Bruce Lee. It's <laughs> yeah, like maybe. they're all over the place. That's right. You're just ducking, waiting for a totally. scum frog to come through your skull. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, I, and I there's excited, a time and place so. for that, right? I mean, you, you take a jig bite and stuff. I mean, there's there's a certain touch with that where you know people that maybe have the the you know expensive rods and experience and the touch we're gonna outfish somebody that doesn't have that touch you know i mean there's definitely times and places but you know when you're dragging stuff below the boat or behind the boat that's a whole different deal then that's a deal where you know uh some of that stuff isn't as important you know and as a guide a lot of times i would try to put people in situations where they could shine right like if i had say a family of three and they hadn't done a lot of fishing i'm not going to try to do some finesse vertical jig bite with light jigs in deep water i'm gonna put an ounce in that bottom bouncer down and go you know and uh, yeah make there, it as there's something as to, possible for them yeah there's something to be said to make the, the experience in the family more enjoyable yeah, and yeah make it more user-friendly you probably don't i mean i'll ask you this too but you probably don't get the boat traffic like we do i mean i know i was on gull lake uh for open well, i was an opener maybe a couple days afterwards up here and it at 10 o'clock it was literally like a parking lot in minneapolis after uh, atmosphere yeah it we was, don't get that it was, i mean it, it, we call we get it people in boats but not nothing like what you guys see especially on weekends and stuff i don't even fish minnesota on weekends like you know when we do all of our filming during the week <laughs> so yeah we stay away from that yeah because i had to basically you pull in in line and, and start trolling and if you went faster slower than the boat in front of you, you i mean you you had to stay in line it was no joke yeah. Like, I remember the, the boat in front of me signaled to me what speed I was supposed to be at because otherwise I was running <laughs> over the top of them. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, I mean, we <laughs> caught fish, but it was, I was like, these walleyes are seeing 500 X wraps and husky jerks just driving by. One of them are going to hit one of these guys. It's just, it's a numbers <laughs> game. Jason, yeah. what's your take on the, the increasing popularity of forward facing sonars like the, like the, panoptics or the hummingbird live and those things no it's definitely changing things i don't know if it's the i don't know if it's the game changing you know i mean somebody like oh we got to outlaw them or oh it's going to ruin fishing or whatever i mean there's a lot of situations where um they're not a factor and then there's other situations where they are and i, I think it's the biggest thing is just realizing when they do make a difference you know in my mind you know whenever you have say 30 feet of water or less and you're ideally even 20 feet of water you know 20 to maybe eight feet of water seems to be kind of the sweet spot and if you have flatter bottoms and if you have fish that are up off the bottom like say crappies over a basin you know it, it's it's game changing and then if you, you know and you learn a lot right like you learn how fast fish move and how much they move and how fast how far they'll come over to see check out a lure i mean you see some pretty amazing things that really change how you think about fishing but you know you'd get like say like i was on rock piles here the last couple of days that were deep and um you know we had a live site down and you know one of my buddies had a snow bear that we were in and he had it down and you know he really had a hard time picking stuff up you know and uh you know it's like we call them burrowing where these fish would almost disappear into the bottom and then they'd pop back up and they'd disappear just because the bottom was uneven these fish are right on the bottom and so there's a lot of situations where it's not anything at all but then there's other things where it's like whoa this completely changes how i fish you know so i, I think it's a tool like everything else that can d definitely really help you um i always tell people you know if you're only going to have one unit make sure you have a vexilar and then a lot of this forward sonar will complement your Vexlar. But, you know, the other thing, too, is they are kind of clunky and clumsy to carry around. You don't want to whole hop with it, you know. Um, 
And so I, I use it as a tool to help me, just like an underwater camera or side imaging or GPS. It's just another tool that just gives you a lot of information at times. It can really uh, make you a better angler, but it's not the be-all, end-all, I don't think. Yeah, I love my FLX-28. That's Oh, yeah. That that's, the, a, that's, that's the bee's the, knees. Yeah, that's one of the greatest inventions ever. I mean, that's and, – and, you know, and here's something else that we're starting to discover is there's times where certain fish um, – we're seeing it with perch and walleyes and I've seen it with crappies where it's almost like that, I don't know if that ping or that um, that signal, that power that's getting sent through the water, sometimes it turns fish off or we've seen where fish will swim into it and then swim out of it right away. It's almost like it, it hits them and they can feel it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's no factor at all. It doesn't matter. The fish are just doing what they're doing. But then there's other times where it almost seems like it spooks a fish. And so we're starting to see that and understand that more too. And probably the big thing that I've learned from is that sometimes these fish are just really spooky. Like somebody drills a hole, somebody drives up, somebody walks up, whatever it is, these fish are just go, 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 go. Right. And, and they're just moving all the time. And whatever you do, they, they just, it's like you're chasing ghosts. You just can't get on them because they're so spooky. And when you keep seeing that, through the day you know one of the things i've learned is just quit chasing them just sit up on a good spot and just sit there and let the fish come to you and just turn stuff off and get quiet and just let things kind of cycle back through and um it took me a little while to figure that out but that's something that i've kind of it's kind of opened my eyes and it's not like we didn't know that before right i mean we've all ran all over the lake and drilled the 500 holes and caught nothing well the guy that walked out and plopped down in one spot with four holes had a bucket full of fish. We're like, huh, that ain't supposed to happen, right? Well, it happens, and now we know why, you know. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been some pretty enlightening, interesting stuff. It's just like side imaging. It's just like all the other tools that we have now. It's you know, you learn more. It's a, it's a someone's just you're paying for the tuition. You're paying for the education. I've definitely seen it before, where a vehicle will drive past fifty yards away, and all of a sudden it brings fish to my hole. I'm sure you see that oh, hunting yeah. too. You know, a guy drives by oh, an yeah. ATV, and you know to get your gun ready. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Then there's other times where it's almost like it attracts them, right? I mean, there's times where driving a snowmobile on bare ice just sends those fish flying, right? Then there's other times where if I turn my snowmobile on and let it run on the ice, it's like it pulls fish in. I've seen it where I drill a hole and it pulls fish in or moves them, you know? And so, yeah, you see weird stuff sometimes that, you know, until you see it, you probably wouldn't think about it or believe it, you know? It's the bomber bite up on Lake of the Woods. I was going to say, I've been on Lake of the Woods where we had to drive around the ice. We took turns driving around the ice house. Because we didn't catch a fish for two days, and mm-hmm. our buddy started the truck, and all of a sudden, bing! There they are. Wall, so, so we just turned, just drove around. And we catch you know four or five walleyes an hour because there's fish swimming around. It's just it was just the noise from the tr- truck or something. I don't know. We, it's a weird lake. Yep. We burned a whole tank of gas screwing around, but catching <laughs> fish. I was like, well, this is weird, but yeah. So, so Jason, how did you get into into having your own lineup of rods and lineup of fish houses and things like that, the elite series and stuff like that? Well, so I had uh, I had the rod business, and I started that. And kind of what it was is at the time, you know, you go into a big box store, there weren't any really specialized what I would call high-end or good fishing rods. I mean, it was all price point combos. And at that time, you know, the industry kind of this mentality, you know, ice anglers are cheap, and, you know, they just sold, you know, just cheap combos, you know, basically bobber rods, you know. And um, there weren't rods with springs. There weren't rods that were designed just for plastics. There weren't noodle tip rods that were designed for the purpose. There weren't rods that I would pick up and say, boy, that's a perfect rod for, say, using spoons for walleyes or jigging ramps or whatever. And so I realized that there was a big niche or big opening for that. And so, you know, we were one of the first ones, you know, unless you were like a Thorn Brothers, you know, like a custom rod 
company, which there weren't very many of those back then either. You know, uh, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot out there. And um, so we started designing rods and, and, you know, and getting them built to our specs. And, and uh, you know, we started having a lot of success in the big box stores. And goodness, at the time, you know, we were the, the category leader as far as a high-end rod. You know, what's crazy is that back then we had the most expensive rod in any of the big box stores at $30. <laughs> my, my, our Things guides cost more than $30. <laughs> Is that something that was changed? You know, but that was, you know, that's only 15 years ago. So think of how much that's changed, you know? Shoot, that's when and, I first uh, started getting into this whole custom rod thing was 2004 is when I started. So it's, yep, it's, and it's wild. So it's, yeah, it's changed a lot. Well, then, basically, as the business grew, you know, I kind of realized all the things that I wasn't good at, and uh, it just made sense to partner up with Clam, you know. And so uh, we worked out an agreement with Clam where they kind of took over the production and distribution of the rods. And um, that was a big advantage because they, they were such a powerhouse as far as distribution, you know. And the way the industry was going, you know, especially around 2008, where, you know, the, the, the big box stores, they wanted to deal with fewer vendors, not more. And so it, you know, it ended up being a big advantage with Clam, where, you know, they're they're already they're already selling all this stuff to these big box stores and all. It's just just, just a couple more SKUs that they add on into their program versus dealing with a completely different vendor, you know. And so it just worked out great. Then the fish houses, you know, the same thing. It just kind of all fell into place, and it's just grown over time. So that's awesome. That's awesome how it all kind of started off as just being a guide and. Then growing the guiding business and getting noticed by people on, you know, on TV shows and just, it's amazing. It's an amazing progression. Yeah. And you've been one of the, I think the most humble people in the industry for me, you, you didn't let all the fame go to your head and get all crazy about it. So. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've had a lot of tough days and there's a lot of witnesses. <laughs> I, I always figure, you know, somewhere in Illinois, there's somebody watching TV and they're like, oh my God, March, get in here. You're not going to believe this. Remember that guy that we didn't catch a fish with? You're not going to believe this. <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, fishing can be humbling. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't like people that are full of themselves. I don't like people that, you know, quit learning and think that they've got it all figured out. I, you know, I just, um, I think I, I, it's a kiss of death to me. So. Yeah, I think I think fishing will humble a lot of people that always think, "Oh, I can catch fish in anywhere." It's like, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I've had days That's where am- it's like amateur hour when people start telling, "Oh, I can't believe that they went up to Malax or Devil's Lake and couldn't catch it." You know, you know, they went up there one time and it was really good, and they have it in their brain that it's always like that because they're they're so inexperienced. You know? <laughs> yeah, because fishing never <laughs> <Yeah>. changes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, that just you know, when somebody starts talking that way, they go, oh, "Okay, there's an amateur." <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Or that's like they just you know they went out with a guide one time in the prime time of the season paid through the nose to get the best spot and it's well like, the yeah. other thing too is when you when you guide every day right you just learn not to run your mouth because as soon as you do you're going to go out there the next day and make a complete fool of yourself you know and uh you know you, you, you no matter how good of a day you had tomorrow can be really really humbling you know i mean you can lead a tournament one day and then bomb the next day and it happens in every tournament mm-hmm. and so you always got to think okay what am i going to do tomorrow and i'm going to keep my mouth shut and worry about the right thing so I can try to hopefully figure this out because I'm not going to make it any harder than it has to be by running my mouth, you know? So I, I, that's just, you know, the approach that I figure that I know works the best. So, Well, Jason, we really appreciate you having you here tonight. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It's been fascinating. And if you have not been watching Jason Mitchell outdoors, you definitely should tune in. What's on Fox sports North, right? Yep. And it's on, yep. uh, 
I'm sure it's probably on channels other than FSN. Uh, Bally, oh, no, it's Bally's now. Bally's, Bally's Sports Star. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, Midco. Then we're also on Roku, too, uh, oh. channel KOTV. So, yep. Yeah. And then we're on YouTube, too. So, oh, a lot yeah. of different ways you can watch us. YouTube's the way I prefer to watch everything, though. It's just, I see. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's, I think that's the way to watch TV, unfortunately. It's so much easier because I don't have to wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yep. Well, we really appreciate yep. it, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, you Tom? bet. Thank you, guys. Harm, Thank you. Appreciate good it. Here. Good luck to the rest of the ice season, too. All right. You we'll bet. catch Thank you guys you. on the next show. You bet. <laughs>